Welcome to Making Sense with Tianjin. I'm your host, Tianjin Twinkle. This is a podcast about making sense of making sense with the world around us, asking questions about things that are not being addressed, and finding solutions to problems. Today, I'm here with Katie Otto, the Director of Communication for the Juvenile Law Center. The Juvenile Law Center is a nonprofit organization located in Philadelphia. It's a public interest law firm for children in the just in the welfare system and the justice system. Katie and her colleagues are on a mission to advocate for children so they have the right to fair and equal treatment in these systems and to ensure opportunities for them to have a successful adulthood. Today I will discuss with Katie how how youth are being affected by today's justice system, also existing policies and those being created to help children. So Katie, how are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Um, so, Katie, I just would like to start off by asking, how old are youth in these juvenile detention center or juvenile um, system? Uh, so, you know, these are youth who are um, ranging in age from early to late teens, um, and there are youth who move out of the juvenile justice system and into the adult criminal justice system. Um, there are also youth who are occasionally tried as adults, but we're pretty much talking about youth who are teenagers. Is there like a specific age range that you know of? Um, uh, I don't know the answer to that. I'm sorry. I, I could try to get one of the lawyers for that one, but I don't know the specific age range. Okay, that's all right. And do you know what, like, what is the purpose of the juvenile justice system? So the juvenile justice system was created uh, to be a rehabilitative system to help young people who've made mistakes uh, get the rehabilitation and treatment that they need to have uh, better paths. Um, unfortunately, some of this mission is sometimes forgotten and also not understood often by the public as what the juvenile justice system was created to, to do. Um, it was created with the intention of understanding that kids are different and that youth need a different approach when it comes to ways in which they're held accountable that are developmentally appropriate. Um, one of the things that we fight for here at Juvenile Law Center is to make sure that that these systems are living up to that promise. And also, does it differ from state to state? Like, is Pennsylvania differs from New York or New Jersey on how juvenile system is run? Yes, all of the states have differences in how their juvenile justice systems are run. Um, one of the things, so we're a national organization, even though we are based in Pennsylvania, so we do look at how these systems work in, in different states. Um, we, uh, and that was a little bit of, too, why I paused in the question, there are states that have different ages of jurisdiction for how old you can be to even be in the system at all. Um and there are also youth who are in the federal uh, system uh, if they've committed federal crimes. The number is very small. I think it's around 20. Um, but, for example, last year when we saw the First Step Act get passed, there was a piece of that legislation that was about ending solitary confinement of youth uh, in facilities. And while that was a great step forward, we would love to see that happen um, at every state level, too, because the only youth affected by that policy change were the youth that are um, held in federal custody. So there's about 20 young people who now cannot be held in solitary confinement. Um, but we, one of the things that our organization is pushing for is an end to the solitary confinement of children um, across the country. Um, but that would, those, those 
why do you think prisons still use solitary confinement? I mean, you like you said, they're trying to end it. Like they're like um, firms that are trying to end it now. But why are they still using it when there's studies that shown that inmate could have like could have worse behaviors because of it? I think that would be an excellent question for everyone who's in a position of authority at departments of corrections and overseeing these facilities. We know from research that solitary confinement does tremendous harm. It exacerbates anxiety and depression. Um, it has been shown to have no positive effects. And actually, there are some studies uh, that we cite in uh, some of our reports on solitary about um, how it actually can make facilities less safe, um, uh, including in Ohio where there were some studies done. I think one of the things that you see is that people who work at juvenile facilities often use different words to basically say solitary confinement. They might call it room confinement. They might call it timeout. Um, but I think that, that we have a concern that, you know, they're just sort of euphemizing what is the same thing because the public has begun to push back against the use of solitary confinement. So it really doesn't matter what it's called. We, we do not believe that youth should be isolated and kept out of contact um, with other young people. We know that there are extremely negative effects for their social and emotional development. Other than solitary confinement, is there other punishment, unusual punishment that, that they do to youth prisoners? So we have a, a portion of our organization that is dedicated to uh, addressing conditions that youth experience. Um, harsh conditions can include things like shackling youth um, to tables while they're, you know, out of their rooms, maybe doing homework or something, limiting their mobility so they can almost barely write if they're working on a worksheet. Uh, we also have seen an use of strip searches, uh, indiscriminate use of strip searches when it's not necessary, um, that can be particularly traumatizing for young people who are survivors of sexual abuse. Um, so these are also elements of uh, the conditions that young people face when they're in these facilities that we try to speak up about. Uh, there's also been, we've seen at a number of facilities, use of pepper spray. Um, that These are just some of the kinds of conditions that we're looking to improve through our legal and policy work. It's so sad because these are children, and I'm just wondering, like, why isn't our national and state government doing anything about it? Like, why are, where are the policies to prevent this? So I think that, you know, one of the things that we uh, hope to do through our work, too, is to kind of use strategic communication to let people know that these things are a problem. Many people on both sides of the aisle are horrified when they find out that we have justice systems across the country that use strip searches for kids as young as 12 years old. Um, and we've even spoken to facility staff who've told us that they don't actually want to be doing strip searches, but it's just the policy of their institution. Uh, same thing with holding youth in solitary confinement. I think one of the big problems is that a lot of these issues happen um, in the shadow of because by nature the juvenile justice system is set up to be more private with the hope that um, in many cases juvenile records uh, can be expunged and mm -hmm. perhaps not follow a person for the rest of their lives. Um, this does mean that the juvenile court proceedings are often not available to public or the public or reporters and there are good reasons for that uh, to protect the, the child but what it does mean is that there are a lot of people who are unfamiliar with what happens in these systems, and we are trying to find 
is when people are interested in speaking, we try to help them to connect with places that might want to receive op-eds from them or lawmakers who might want to hear directly from them. So I hope that as the criminal justice uh, reform conversation grows and expands, that uh, more candidates and people already in office will begin to discuss in specific the juvenile justice system. Do you think that because of lack of awareness and funding in these systems are like the reasons why there are harsh conditions in um, juvenile justice systems? Uh, well, there there are some issues that uh, are connected to um, having sufficient staff at some of these places, including um, you know we've been involved in uh, some various litigation around facilities that are understaffed. Um, that may lack adequate training, that may not be operating from a trauma-informed model, or may not have adequately vetted the staff that they do have. One issue that we really face here in Pennsylvania, too, is that uh, we do rely a lot on private facilities to house youth who are in the juvenile justice system. Um, And I think there are some important things to look at there when it comes to licensing facilities, and and some of that responsibility is also borne at the state level. We've, we've seen facilities that house both youth in the juvenile justice and child welfare systems uh, not have, not provide adequate information, uh, education services. Um, youth in both of these systems have a right to, to education, and that's another aspect of our work that we're interested in. Our, our youth advocates uh, in our youth advocacy program published last year, in June, well, I'm sorry, this year in June, uh, a report called Operation Education. So if you look up mm-hmm. Juveniles for Justice, Operation Education, mm-hmm. outlining some of the ways being involved in these systems can keep you from being able to obtain a high school degree. You, um, issues such as not being able to have your credits transfer, not having any of your work count while you're in placement. So I think there are just a lot of different issues that compound to really harm children in these institutions. Um, we're really hoping that more uh, members of the public and elected themselves start to pay attention and speak up about these. Um, my thing is that the juvenile justice system is supposed to rehabilitate and reform youth. Like like you said earlier, like there should be like basically advocacy for children to have classes, to talk about, you know, you know, taking high school courses and stuff related to that. But there isn't much of that. And why is it doing the opposite of rehabilitating them? Uh, I think, unfortunately, there's been also a, a, a trickle-down effect of a, a system in our country that is very oriented towards uh, punishment and is very punitive. Um, I, I also think that we have not, as a culture, seen the ways in which the United States is an outlier. Um, we are incarcerating children at a disproportionate rate. The rates of racial disproportionality um, are very high. Uh these are, these are also not issues that reporters have all often had easy access to cover, in part because the courts are closed a lot of the time. Um, so I think, you know, we, what we need is a greater uh, sense by the public that these systems operate with our tax dollars, and the way that these children are treated is something that happens with our tax money. We've also been trying to encourage people to think, as we discussed, the very uh, horrible uh, issues of family and child separation at the border. We've also talked about child separation as a result of system involvement. So when 
bring a youth into the juvenile justice system or the child welfare system, there are similar kinds of trauma experienced by family separation there. Mm -hmm. So these are all pieces of um, the work that we're trying to uplift and, and hope that people in the public begin to see this as an issue that we all have a stake in. So youth from, like, so basically caged immigrant youth are going into the juvenile system? So is that, like, confirmed or is that happening? Uh, no, I was just speaking more to the similarities between the ways in which okay. um, immigrant and migrant youth are, are held and separated in custody. I mean, it's a di- there are different systems that they, there are different systems that have jurisdiction over them. So, you know, for example, whether it's a state correctional system, um, a Department of Human Services, or, you know, in the case of immigrant migrant youth, there are, you know, those are sort of overseen by, by ICE and other jurisdictions. So, but it, it's basically the same kind of uh, horrible situation where we're looking at children being separated from their communities and families and their support systems. So we think that uh, as people become concerned and speak out about those issues, we would hope that they would draw some connections. And how could our communities and society, like society improve, like, improve the situation? And also, like, what do you think, what change do you want to see in the system? I think that we need to, um, there are a couple of key things that we're fighting for here at Juvenile Law Center. Uh, we're looking for a greater ease of record expungement for youth in the system. We know that records can harm youth for the rest of their lives, whether it's getting a job, going to college. Um, so record expungement should be easily available. Um, we also are working to end harmful juvenile fines and fees, whether they're related to court um, or uh, bills that are borne by families if their kids are in the system and they're billed for cost of care, it's called. It's essentially billing families whose kids are locked up. Um, all of the, There's just a myriad of problems. We, we are looking to abolish juvenile fines and fees. Uh, we also stand in opposition to, as I mentioned, the solitary confinement of young people, harsh conditions they face. So there are a range of different issues that we see as important. Um, and uh, we also work regularly with policymakers in various states across the country to identify issues as they emerge. Um, this requires a, a lot of vigilance and building relationships between public defenders and staff at departments of health and human services, and, um, and also working with good reporters who do want to try to shine a light on some of these issues. I think the biggest the biggest barrier is that this is a very poorly understood issue in the public consciousness, but there are also great pieces um, uh, such as Ava DuVernay's uh, new When They See Us Netflix series that talks about the experiences of the exonerated Central Park Five mm-hmm. um, uh, in their experiences as young people um, navigating these systems. So I hope that greater public understanding will lead to greater positive change. Well, thank you, Katie, for talking with me about the treatment of youth in the criminal justice system. Thank you for being on my podcast. Um, Also, thank you, listeners, for joining us on Making Sense with Tangine. I hope you all took something from this episode today about the harsh realities of our justice system and how our government can make it better. This is Tangine Twinkle wishing you a good day.